Welcome everyone to Pen Pen Pals for another exciting episode. Uh, we're still covering Darling in the Franks. This is 14, I think. I'm Alex. This is Brian. Hey, and this is Ben. Uh, and we are, I know I say excited a lot, but we're very excited to have a guest this week. First time for us, but no stranger to the Franks community. Uh, Theta, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, I hear you had a busy weekend. You did like a, uh, uh, you do a seasonal preview show, right? Uh, That's right. Uh, is it like a full stream or is it a pre-recorded thing? Uh, no, it's a live, a live streamer. I have a, a YouTube channel and a Twitch channel. Both are actually called Nearly on Red. Okay. And then uh, for the past 10 seasons, I have done a preview show of the new anime season. And so we did the fall 2021. But it's kind of a live look. I go through, uh, this time it was 14 new shows. Did a few minutes discussion of each of them and just kind of a spoiler light. Hey, this is what this show is about. Here's why you mm -hmm. might be interested in it. Here are some opening thoughts. Just a premise, some of my own observations, a few selected clips so you could see what it looked like. Mm -hmm. In my community, that's how we, that's kind of the kickoff for the season. Okay, cool. So since that was a live show, can you uh, give us an idea of something that should be on people's radars for the fall? Um, as to this point, I've seen the, only the premieres of each, but in terms of premieres that were executed at a really high level, um, Sakugan. With two exclamation marks was a fantastic premiere. Uh, so is Ranking of Kings. And there were a couple of surprises as well. The Faraway Paladin, and I'm going to butcher the name of this, but the world's finest assassin is reincarnated and incarnated in another world <laughs> as an aristocrat. <laughs> Both of those are isekai, which I know some people are like, yeah, hard pass. But that's exactly why they were surprises. Uh, <laughs> okay. They were surprisingly well done premieres. The world's finest assassin. An isekai with a long convoluted Shocking, name. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what was that, Ben? Can we get that yeah, name the, one more time? Yeah, Ben, you got it, right? The world's finest assassin was reincarnated in another world as an aristocrat. Is that right? <laughs> that sounds right. All right. Way to go. Leaving the content of it aside, it was an amazingly well-structured episode. Mm. And structure is hard to do. Um, <laughs> do does the first episode uh, explain that premise? Do they give you some logical... Uh... For sure. And that's, that's kind of <laughs> okay. one of the surprises. Most isekai, you start in our world and there's... Some in some incident that gets them to our to the new yeah. world. A right? mysterious wind blows, and yeah, you know, truck the truck hits them. Yeah. Uh, they're they, they're reincarnated. They're they summoned by some cute girl, right? In this one, you start in the new world um, and get just a sense of where the uh, whole series is going. And then most of the episode is actually about the world's finest assassin in our world doing his finest assassin things. Mm. And it's most of the episode, and it's actually a compelling story in its own right. You kind of like, wait, wait, forget the isekai. Can we just stay with this? <laughs> <laughs> it was very different than what you, I think that title almost sets you up to be surprised. All right. Well, I think I know what I'm doing tonight after our show. Last time on the obligatory flashback episode, Hero and Zero Two went full Vulcan mind meld as we explored a very specific memory for each of them. Growing up in the garden, the hero everyone remembers saw a little red girl, now confirmed to be an equally young Zero Two. 
After an escape attempt, some sharing, and an obnoxiously cute naming session, the two were forcibly separated, and then their memories were taken from them. Zero Two still remembered all this time, and now that Hero does too, surely it's all smooth sailing from here. Darlings, Franks, trauma processing, what could be simpler? Will Zero Two keep a place on the squad? Is Ichigo the charismatic leader we all want her to be? Can someone please punch Nine Alpha? Let's find out. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Three, two, one, play. Uh, I'm a sucker for this. I got the goosebumps. Had I really forgotten all this time? Sure. That was you. You were the girl. The one with the picture book back then. Darling! You're not going anywhere near him again! Man, I thought you were a goner for sure this time, but nope! Yeah. Anyway, where's Zero Two? I'm much more frustrated with a hero than Ichigo. I didn't let her come. (laughs) Wait, why? You know why? And he just needs to, like, let everybody know what's going on. It's been a confusing day. Yes. At least he makes things right with Mitsuru. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do respect this. Mitsuru, before you got an elixir Yeah, I find Mitsuru I increasingly fascinating because of his that, I... Never mind. relationships to Hero and Hero's relationship to Zero Two you're and the parallels. Wrong, mm. There's I a just... lot of paralleling in this whole yeah. thing. Yeah, this whole it's goddamn thing mirrors, mirrors as far as the I can see. Goddamn funhouse. we're coming in. Oh, shit. Darling, I... You tricked me. You lied to me. No, we didn't plan for this to happen. Believe us. He must have. Holy that's it. He left a fire. This is a brutal yeah. episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Unless you just have no empathetic link to these characters at all. We've just had like a bunch of building episodes. Now we have to have another underworld journey where everything gets fucked up. Oh, that, that was my first question. Is this. Um... Hero's descent into the underworld <laughs> in terms of the which one hero's journey. <laughs> he does it so many oh, times. Um, but yeah, it's several people's descent, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Things go sour for just about everybody. Does anyone yeah. come out of this better? You arguably, even Ichigo still kind of loses. Yeah. She got out what she wanted to say, but. Yeah, no one on our squad. I guess. Uh, the uh, nines. Nine alpha, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, the nines get what they want. He's happy. They That's got Iota the back. Uh, Nobody else. Nobody else is happy. Well, I guess well, me the too rest, got rest of a Squad little, 13 feels better. Yeah. But. Me too got a little bit of closure, maybe the beginning of closure. Uh, and yeah, I did know. And then Hero goes away. So yeah, it's like, yeah, well. Yeah. yeah, that sucks. Um, Do you want to start us off, Brian? You're so excited. Yeah. I can see it in your face. Um, <laughs> so... Yeah, so we just watched uh, episode 14 of Darling and the Franks, uh, Confession and Punishment. So episode 13 was a fan favorite, and episode 14 is kind of known for being one of the most polarizing episodes of the series. I appreciate that you had me on here for like the most divisive <laughs> episode, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was intentional, but I apologize. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. But as we get further into the stuff that the community found divisive, I feel like we're getting further away from the stuff that we found divisive. So I'm just like 
now really enjoying the ride. There is a lot of pathos. There's a lot of like, uh, you know, if you're emotionally tied to any character, you know, you get worried, you get like, you're really invested, but like, that's the dark half of the mirror, right? Like we just had this episode that informed all of the stuff that's about to happen. Like, it's just like you loaded the gun. Now you have to shoot the gun. Mm. Now there has to be a situation where those stakes matter again. So let's, let's, uh, let's dive in. Okay. So we open uh, right where the last episode uh, finished. We've got the thing that we've been building towards. Hero is Zero Two's darling. They had their connection. Heroes, like by virtue of being connected to Zero Two, maybe, or the intensity of the moment, like he is now in touch with the reality of their history. Mm-hmm. It's this enormous breakthrough. At this point, like everything should be awesome, but then we wouldn't have a story. So uh, in the exhaustion, you know, Hero 2 passes out just as Ichigo barges into Strelitzia. Mm. Does ha- has none of the context since Hero is now unconscious. He can't explain it. And Zero 2 uh, has just been through a lot. Uh, it's reasonable that she would just kind of be in shock, maybe, and not be able to just, uh, Ichigo, here's what happened. There's this history. <laughs> like, that's very unlikely. My opinion is that the chaos is understandable. I feel like it's reasonable. Oh, sure. I think the series in general, but it especially comes to a head in this episode, makes great use of the difference between the audience point of view and the character point of view. Mm. Dramatic irony, right? Yeah. We know things the characters don't know. There's tension Mm -hmm. in watching them wait to figure it out. Ichigo hasn't seen the moments that we have as far as Zero Two and know that she actually has this side, leaving aside everything that happens in 13, everything that Hero didn't remember. Just mm-hmm. the moments heroes remembers and their interactions at the beach, playing with the boys versus girls, you know, kind of just trolling the whole lot of them because that's her <laughs> idea of being human, apparently, being mischievous. Mm-hmm. And almost no one has seen it. In fact, Goto makes a comment, might be episode nine, they, when they spied on Hero giving the mirror to Zero Two, he makes a mm-hmm. comment later. He's like, I didn't know Zero Two could smile like that. Um, and so we've seen all this but that's that's it that's like the only time they've even seen her be human so from their point of view and Ichigo's especially she is this the succubus who's wormed her way into the squad into her man's um, heart and life and it's the if we only had Ichigo's point of view I don't think we'd react any differently Mm. and and she's right right like Zero Two was just strangling him and, (laughs) and kind of like later in the episode by her own admission like she was trying to turn him into this monster and it's kind of only her realization that that he is her darling that kind of brings her humanity back and kind of you know makes her want to treat him well again yeah mm-hmm. which is that's the fault lies with her there it's like oh no i didn't want to kill this guy just everybody else you know that's that's okay right <laughs> i don't care about the rest of you guys not all humans just most humans I mean, everybody makes a mistake in this. Ichigo reaches too far at the end. The hero deceives her and tries to sneak away. You could argue the things that happen only happen because each of these people do something wrong, even though all of them are trying to do the right mm-hmm. thing as they understand it. Yeah. So I'll, I'll just uh, address another criticism real quick. So the studio could have given the fans what they wanted, uh, but they opted to have give us characters that were consistent. I just really respect that move. And just to lay it all out there, so what do you think the fans wanted? 
oh, this was supposed to be like, so they were given this really like emotional ride with episode 13 and the expectation was episode 14 is like, oh, now we're going to have these uninhibited expression of love, love wins. And, and like everything goes bad. Uh, but the story they tell, they earned it. Like everything we're seeing in episode 14, like we can point to the character development that led us here. And I feel like if it had gone any other way, it would have been an abandonment of who they've been building Ichigo to be. I hard, I hard agree. Hard agree. This is, <laughs> this is like chain of custody for character motivations here and, and what their goals have been to this point. Yeah. Like if you told someone what the setup was, was not having seen 14 mm-hmm. and you paid attention to how the characters had acted, you could predict at least some of what went down, how the squad would react, how Ichigo would react. Anything too sunny would almost stray into being fan service rather than actually consistent. And, you know, the, the sad truth is, like, a lot of studios do choose to just go with, like, an easier route. We, we tend to forget happy ending stories, though, right? Like, it's the ones yeah. that don't end so well that just stay in our mind and, and put the screws to us. And we're just like, oh, I can't. Oh, that bothers me so much yeah. that it didn't work out the way I wanted. And arguably, that's what you kind of want as an artist, mm-hmm. like, to get the little rent-free space in people's minds. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, the, and the super happy ending uh, rarely does that. Yeah. Well, and also we're we're only on episode fourteen, right? So it's kind of like we can't we can't have the happy ending now and then just have <laughs> ten episodes. What, what, what are you gonna do for like ten episodes? Happy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we got we got we done beach, but we'll do a hot springs episode and we'll do a uh, the school play episode. And <gasps> oh my gosh, school play! What play do they put on? Who plays who? Ah, that's a whole episode we can yeah. do. That's beautiful. <laughs> a couple things before we get on the other side of the credits. One is what Hero remembers. What he says to her and, and how it dawns on him and basically how she exists in his mind. He's like, you were the girl with the picture book. Not, you were the girl with red skin, right? Yeah. You were the girl with blue blood, right? You mm-hmm. were the girl with horns, right? No, no, no. Like the first thing he sees about her and the reason he kind of becomes uh, entranced is he sees her fighting an adult for control of a book. And he himself is someone questioning the adults and fighting back and is very into books himself. And it's kind of like, here's this kindred spirit and nobody else around me seems to care or be challenging or asking questions. And so the thing he, that's how he remembers her, not as the monster. You remember her as mm-hmm. the girl with the picture book. Uh, I just got goosebumps. <laughs> he sees her. <laughs> like he sees, what's, he sees her. what's significant, not the superficials. Oh, I love it. To me, mm. uh, hero's um, superpower, such that there is. And uh, by the way, I, I went and listened to several of um, your podcasts on this series already. Oh, well, one thing that comes up, and I think everyone feels the same way, is the hero's. He's got that protagonist, not too strong of a personality. You want someone who can be a little bit of a, a little bit of an everyman if he's going mm-hmm. to be the audience point of view. And so, there's not a, much about him that seems significant, especially at the beginning of the story. Now, I think 13 mm-hmm. probably changes that for some people. But for me, Hero's superpower, such that he has one, is empathy. Mm. That is the, the thing he does that other people don't. It's the reason he sees Zero Two initially as a person and not a monster. In the Girls versus Boys episode, he's trying to... You know, I never really gave a whole lot of thought to how the girls felt. But, you know, I feel like it might be like this and trying to think about how the girls would uh, react in this situation. And does the same thing for... Um, 
Oh man, I forget who now. Uh, he empathizes with, with Futoshi. Oh yeah, yeah. When he loses Kokoro, mm-hmm. and he's like, "I understand what you're what you're going through," and it it almost comes back to bite Ichigo a little bit because in you know, a sense that Goro then takes that and he's empathetic with Zero Two's situation in this episode, and Kokoro mm-hmm. is as well. It's like that. It's like it's spreading, and just mm-hmm. the way he saw all the other parasites as people and not numbers he's the one that starts giving them names oh, right, you know, right. assigning them person and and individuality you know and, it spreads and, like a virus and yeah, exactly they learn like it, a virus. they start passing it forward uh, and zero two is kind of late to the game on that she only cares about her her darling but Daddy. has not yet extended that to the rest of the crew and you you know you kind of hoped at this point that it would start to spread um it's a little bit late to uh, to the game but to me that's that I see you as the, the girl who had the picture book is kind of a key thing mm. in the way Hero remembers her. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, and then in the actual credits, I'm sorry, uh, Go before we get beyond that, <laughs> just because I've been waiting for this to uh, come up, and 14 is the episode it comes up. Okay. Oh, cool. At least the way it's tri- translated for me. The second line of the opening credit song and the second to last long, uh, so, I'm sorry, the second to last line of the opening credits is, please don't fear me. But that's the refrain we get is that it's both the opening and closing thought of the opening credits sequence. And so it's this, even as you have all this kind of sensual uh, and, and relationship and, and combining imagery and, and the thing that her, her thoughts are, this undercurrent of don't, please don't be afraid of me. My horns, my fangs, the, the monstrous things I know about myself. And so for this episode to in the way it does is like confirming that fear that we've mm. I've been waiting on to come up in the story this whole time that mm. he would actually be afraid of her because the whole thing about him to this point is that he wasn't really afraid of her other than outside of a few isolated incidents isolated incidents yeah he really goes through an, to the extreme there at the end like he calls her a monster like that's like the worst thing you could have said to her but yes, but thank you. Um, I really like the way you said that one thing. Um, like Hero sees people as individuals, not as numbers. And this tracks with a uh, uh, personality trait I find common with uh, highly empathetic people, at least in my experience. Uh, like you can oftentimes beat them up and they don't care. But in- once you touch their friends, that's when the reactions really start. Mm. That was off limits, right? That's a boundary that's not allowed to be crossed because that's who he primarily feels empathy for and has been doing it his whole life. That's a good point. So this, yeah, she crossed a line and didn't realize there was a line there in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, so let, let us let me get us into the, the other side of our opening mm-hmm. credits here. So heroes in the hospital. And this, this creates the situation of Hero and Zero Two being immediately separated. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why this escaped me uh, on my first few viewings of this show, but um, uh, Zero Two is, is not in a good way. Uh, she's like about to bite the fingernails off of her, uh, off her thumb. But like just this time around is like, uh, wow, uh, she's been searching her for her whole life for her darling. She finally finds him. She finally gets confirmation and, th- and they're immediately separated. She's so close, mm-hmm. but so far away. And uh, from my perspective, like just this anxiety is killing her. Yeah, the, the, the chewing also, she's so self-conscious about the things about her, which are not human. And her long nails are one of those things, you know, 
Okay, so she's fixated. She has just got to see her darling again. And then there's a confrontation in a corridor. Ichigo has still, yeah, she still has it in her head that uh, Zero Two is a threat to Hero. Hero's physical body is changing and he's going to turn into something like Zero Two, which from Ichigo's perspective is not human, very aggressive, cold hearted. Yeah, I think it's interesting that the squad at this point. Ichigo's, from their point of view, acting weird. They had actually started to warm up to Zero Two, and all their reactions are, "Ichigo, what are you, what, what are you going on about? Why are you, mm-hmm. why are you being this way?" Like they had started to open up to her, even though she hasn't really reached across that divide herself. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple things going on there, right? So obviously Ichigo is in love with Hero, like we know that by the end here. Uh, but also, was it episode? 12 when nine alpha sort of got into Ichigo's head uh, started feeding her a lot of lines about a lot of information without proper context. Every lie has a kernel of truth kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Ichigo responds with this conviction, like you will never see hero again. Mm -hmm. Uh, So then we cut from this heated conflict to something uh, kind of heartwarming. Uh, Mitsuru is maybe on monitor duty for Hero. He's he's in the room with, with Hero, and this is now Hero on the other side of having recovered his memories. And they get, uh, I don't know if I, I want to call it closure. Like it's the beginning of a conversation. Yeah, and even in his state, Hero's wastes no time in trying to to make this right. Suddenly, he maybe understands how Mitsuru feels. That's that empathy thing again. He's like, "Oh, I got to make this right. I bet this was, mm-hmm. I bet this felt terrible, you know." And he's put it together too, right? Yeah. He's like, "Man, Mitsuru's been kind of cold to me. <laughs> I thought we were supposed to have been friends once upon a time or something." Yeah, and we and we kind of also get this resolution to this question early on of like, what happened to Hero, right? Where people were like, mm-hmm. "He was this leader. He was so promising, and then, you know, he's different now." And then. I guess, what what do you think is the change? Is it, you know, that he met Zero Two and got separated from her? Or is it whatever they did to erase his memories kind of affected his his abilities as well? I think it's the erasing the memories. And I think the implication is that like, so they met each other and that they bonded immediately and they that opened up this emotional capacity within them, right? And then that emotional capacity was completely shut off or at least like cut off from the conscious mind. So now there's this subconscious or unconscious longing that has no way to manifest through hero's actual actions. You know, it's like searching for the thing you don't know you need. He loses his purpose in a sense. He had all these questions as a kid, didn't understand their situation, wanted to make sense of it, spent all this time in the library and part of what he doesn't understand is why is no one else asking these questions? Mm. Why is no one else pushing back? And I think that's part of why Zero Two is um, appealing to him in the first place. When he loses his memory of Zero Two, like the world's suddenly made sense for him as much as it could. You take that away, he is searching for a purpose and he defaults back to the indoctrination. That's, that's mm. kind of the, the hero we meet through the first part of the series is this guy who's just... I'm supposed to die for Papa and protect the adults and and Pilot of Franks is the only thing I care about. It never was a satisfying purpose for him, which is why he was the way he was apart from the rest of the kids. The reason it didn't make sense and he chafed against everything and stuck his nose into trouble, as they all say. And meeting Zero Two, it suddenly made sense. And they took that away from him. 
I think they even say it somewhere. Something about what has happened to Hero is why he suddenly starts failing out. Like, like mm-hmm. what made him special and important before, mm-hmm. his low number, can't do it anymore. He, I'm sure as far as his memory goes, he was on the ascent and was special and he was beloved among the children. Like, Squad 26 knew who he was. He's infamous among the children. And he cuts from that to washing out, unable to pilot anymore. You know, not as good as even the lowest number in their squad. Mm-hmm. He's kind of adrift. He's like a, a ship without a rudder. So he's, he's in a similar situation, similar situation as Zero Two here, where suddenly it makes sense. Suddenly the thing that actually gave my life purpose is here, and I know what it is again, and you guys are keeping us apart. <laughs> mm. Desperate times call for, well, what these two try to do. That's interesting. I, I've often speculated about what is the exact timeline for Frank's pilots, but like contemplating like heroes high performance and then being mind wiped, losing purpose and then almost washing out that really tightens it in my mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Clearly they grow up quite a bit between the mind wipe and being transferred to uh, wherever, wherever it is that he's uh, washing out with Naomi. Mm -hmm. And they must've already gone to 13 at that point because they have to be, they're being sent away from it from the very beginning. Okay. All right. Um, Hero and uh, Mitsuru, they have their moment. And then Mm -hmm. we jump from that to, I think Hero has a moment to himself at this point. And maybe he's just in like in an introspective state, but maybe it's the connection with Zero Two that unlocks. uh, I don't know how you, how you, what you'd call it exactly. There's this like montage that happens, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is this where he sees the memories of, them recently like the life they have uh the mm-hmm. memories they've made the life they built together so far yeah it's is him trying to match up his regained gained purpose and how he feels since meeting zero two and everything going well um and it, actually that's that's the montage of which he thinks oh it must be from the blood that's where he puts it together that the reason a his aptitude kept decreasing and b the reason piloting with zero two didn't kill him like it did everybody it's like oh right I licked her bloody knee <laughs> way back then. Yeah. Because that's what animals do. And I read it in a book. So everybody's got yellow blood cells, right? But Hero's got blue blood. Yeah. It's blue. All right. So, Alex, you have in the notes um, Zero Two and Hero's interactions can be framed as death and rebirth cycles. Can you expand on that? Yeah. So, like, uh, even this episode, Zero or Hero right now is going through another rebirth. Um, so the the vision quest in the last episode, the them going over their past, him re- remembering all of this stuff, that's kind of like a journey through the underworld. And so now part of him is back, right? Like this childhood version of him that he doesn't remember. And more importantly, everyone else remembers him, right? Like we marked upon, we just talked about how his drop in performance, everyone's like, oh, you were this leader, you were this person. And he doesn't really know that person, right? He has this loss of confidence. So that person's back. And so now he's in a rebirth cycle uh, because he's still formulating the new hero, who he's going to be now. And the last time we had uh, a big turning point on this wheel was where he pilots with her for the third time and goes into the underworld experience more vividly and more... uh, uh, I don't know, clearly in that one, because he has this experience of dying. 
uh, and he came out of it as a new, like a new kind of partner for her. Yeah, I think kind of going along with that um, during that sequence where he's introspecting in the in the hospital room, there there's this line he says that's something like, you know, I've already died once before, and you see the wounded bird, and then you see zero two. So I think that early episode where he might get retired as a pilot, like that was kind of almost his death. And he sees kind of like zero two as having like saved him and and that being kind of like a rebirth in, in some ways. Oh, wow. There's even a sacrifice in his place. Oh, Um, Oh, because someone had to die there for the new hero to be born. Yeah. I I totally agree. Death and rebirth are just all over this series. It's just humanity. And it's one of the most ancient of all storytelling themes right is death and rebirth mm-hmm. hero part of why he needs to talk to zero two is the question he needs to ask her is did you know that i could only ride with you all along how much of this does she remember she obviously remembers a lot more than he does mm-hmm. but the question kind of is did she recognize him before this and the thing he wants to know did you know it was me all this time and were willing to use me anyway mm-hmm. right if it's yes you know, you didn't actually care about me. You knew it was me. You were just using me as a means to an end. But the answer is no. Why this whole insisting on making him her darling and going through this whole song and dance? And, you know, she even mm-hmm. says the thing to him back in episode four, I think. Maybe. Or maybe it's three. You know, I can get you out of here. Which is what Hero said to her. There's a lot of, like, her aping what her darling um, did in, in more ways than one. And so it's, is it odd to have her act this way with Hero if he didn't, if she didn't think he was actually the person? Yet mm-hmm. what she says here in 14 is like, the whole reason I wanted to become a human was to get back to this boy, and here he is. And so what have I been doing this whole time? You know, it, it, it puts a lie to what I'm assuming Ape told her, which is, well, you can get back to your darling. You just have to kill lots of Klaxosaurs, right? That's just a, that's a carrot they're dangling in front of her. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why she's so obsessed with killing Klaxosaurus. When she starts to sorify more, her mm-hmm. fangs come in, the horns start coming in the last couple episodes. Starting way back at like episode nine, that's the first time she starts acting distant. It's like she feels she's getting further from her darling. So it doesn't make sense for her to act that way if she knew who Hero was. Yeah, I guess I've kind of been assuming that like this is her MO with like all of these relationships, that all of these like pilots that she's killed in the past were also her darling and that, you know, this is kind of her her model for a relationship. And she's not even necessarily trying to find that kid from her past, but just trying to get back into that same sort of relationship that she once had with with this other person who treated mm. her as a person who saw her as the the girl with the book, as opposed mm. to the scary monster with, with the horns. Yeah. And she says, you, you weren't, you weren't afraid of my horns because the only other guy we've seen piloting with her, they did not have this kind of relationship. Right? No. <laughs> she was, she was looking to ditch him already. Yeah. So I don't know about that, but I mean, she seems genuinely very surprised when he does remember I mean, was there any like foreshadowing stuff where she tried to like bring this up early, early on in the series? And then he's like, I don't know what you're talking, you know, like, I I don't think there is. When he says something at the beginning of this episode, it's something that he could only say if he knew. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like when she feeds him the honey, 
she's like, doesn't this seem familiar? <laughs> if he had been like, oh my gosh, my darling. Well, then he would have known. And that's been her modus operandi is like, she is putting together these scenes almost like from a play. And if they work out the way Zero Two remembers, well, then maybe this is the right one. Sorry, I don't know if that derailed what you were saying, Ben. Well, no, no, I think that that kind of lines up with it. But yeah, I mean, is there is there some reason is there some reason she believes or has been led to believe that like her darling is the person who who can kind of keep successfully piloting with her? Or is this kind of like, um, you know, it as like a dating or sex or relationship metaphor, you know, she just keeps trying to have these like very intimate relationships with all of these guys. And like, you know, it always ends very quickly and she just can't, you know, she's looking, looking for a darling, looking for the one that, yeah. that actually she's, lasts. She's chasing, she's chasing an idealized version. Mm hmm. Like loving the way someone makes you feel, not loving them. Yeah. I mean, from what I heard, because I've listened, I listened to, I guess, four of your podcasts altogether, you guys strike all over the idea that, hey, a lot of what's going on in this show is about the difference between sex, intimacy, relationships, liking, mm -hmm. and we've got a, a lot of what's going on is metaphorical. And we're just using this piloting, not the only thing we're doing, but we're using this whole piloting thing as, as a, a way to approach the idea from an oblique angle. You know, one of the things that sci-fi does really well is put enough distance between us and the audience and our experiences and the situation of the characters so you can explore, you know, whether it's politics or, or anything else or relationships from an unfamiliar angle. And then you can talk about things without screwing up what someone's predetermined assumptions about it are because you're seeing mm -hmm. it in a weird place. You know, you've, you've lost your context and how you signal and, and construct your understanding from that situation because it doesn't look anything like our world. These don't look anything like our relationships. Um, in this episode, like a lot of that comes to a head, right? Ichigo trying to force the intimacy again and, and not knowing what it was, uh, like back when they tried to connect the first time and... You know, zero to potentially just having kind of a string of unfulfilling relationships chasing a certain high or chasing after a sense of belonging she used to have but only kind of remembers. Mm -hmm. It's like she has held on to the concept of that but not the rea exactly who he was. So he's this shadowy, you know, knight in shining armor uh, ideal in her mind because that's all she can really remember and still chasing after it. He's He's just the, the nameless prince in the storybook, not a real person. Not yet. Yeah. Uh, mm. so, so this is a pretty big part of uh, Zero Two's motivations, I think. Like, she's got this fixation on this concept of the darling, and it comes from just a very immature mind. It comes from this mm -hmm. thing she experienced in early childhood that she didn't fully understand, but was like, you know, this defining moment. She had this cold, hard existence, and now here's someone who loves her and is down on one knee. And from what she can make out in this picture book, like he's not just licking her knee, he's proposing. And this is going to be like her fairy tale come true. I don't know what this is, but I know it's beautiful. Yeah. Mm. Um, and this was kind of the existential question that I don't have resolved. Like, who is she looking for? Like, is she looking for this physical person she knew in her past? Or is she looking for attachments that made it special? Because if she's 
looking for the things that are significant and it's been erased from his mind, he's not going to ever be her darling. Mm-hmm. Or is it, you know, the compassion and the caring that's just a part of who Hero is. And even if he doesn't remember it, then yeah, he is her darling. Well, no, no I, I totally agree. I feel like that's, I feel like there's commentary on relationships in general, especially young love versus older, matured, been burned a few times love, that you start off chasing this ideal. Yes, the Romeo and Juliet idea. You're chasing this idealized storybook, rousing speech on the balcony kind of love. And that ideal does not survive contact contact with reality. <laughs> and mm. eventually, whoever you love, they're going to be a real person full of warts and flaws and, and things you hate. And, and, and horns. And horns <laughs> and fangs, exactly. They, they might try to suck your blood or take your entire soul. Details, you know. But, yeah. but there's going to be something that shatters that illusion. And the question is, do you keep chasing it at that point? Yeah. Or do you actually veer into the real person in front of you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Their, their, their current problem, where we are in the series right now, is related to that. Yes. So this episode specifically illustrates this perfectly. Like this fairy tale concept that Zero Two may have had about what her darling is, is so limited. Like how long were they wandering around in the snowy garden? Not mm-hmm. that long. She couldn't have gotten a full concept of who the whole person was, flaws and all. And now she meets Hero, and he's a whole person. And, you know, he's not a great communicator all the time. And there's misunderstandings and, like, people are misreading situations. And it's, it's a mess. And that certainly can't live up to, you know, in an idealized concept that you formed when you were a little kid. Yeah. Uh, nothing can. <laughs> That's the tragedy of these characters right here. And it's, gosh, it's the tragedy of a lot of us. Yeah, I think, Theta, you you pointed out there, um, you know, that in the book, it's this nameless prince or nameless knight or whatever. And we, we've had this concept already with, you know, people are more than just numbers, right? They, they are individuals with these identities. And I think maybe on the other side of the spectrum, you know, you have kind of like this, like logical math numbers, the lower, the better. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have like kind of like this fantasy storybook way of seeing the world where people are these like archetypes and whatever. Right. But that's not true either. Like those people, those characters also don't have names. They're just, you know, the witch and the the knight mm-hmm. and the, the demon or whatever. And that n- neither of those things is correct. Yeah, their, their name is just what they are. Yeah. Not yeah. who they are. Yeah, speaking of the storybook, one of my big, after having watched it and thought about it, revelations, there's two. One occurred to me at the time. In the storybook, which Zero Two is treating, you get the sense of a bit like a playbook. Uh, So I don't know what you did for episode 13, but the end credits have the whole storybook, right? You can read the whole story where she meets the, she gets a witch to turn her into a human. And, you know, she's going to, you, uh, she trades her wings for it. But know that you're a, you will always be a beast. One day you will take the prince's life. But you see in the book, in the end credits, that she, the way she meets the prince is that he gets bit by a snake and she like sucks the poison out of his leg. And then they uh, spend this time traveling around with each other. You know, she sees him first and then goes to the witch to get changed. It's a retelling of like the OG Little Mermaid story, basically. Just a voice 
instead of wings, mm. um, turning into a human from a beast princess instead of from a mermaid. And the same idea that at the very end, you have to choose between the prince's life and your and your happiness, your own. Not the Disney version, right? The original version. Yeah, Hans Christian Andersen. Yes, yeah. Some of the roles in that story are backwards. For one thing, Hero sees her first. He sees her through the window. He's the one who catches the view of the princess in this, in this case. And when they meet, he's the one who does the sucking the poison out kind of <laughs> yeah. scene, right? So I realized that at the beginning. It's like, you guys are kind of playing some of both sides here. But the real discovery I had thinking about the story later and the way Zero Two kind of treats it as how things must happen and is still following something of an idealization and assuming that things will work out a certain way because of the story is the only story she really knows. She got it wrong. She got it wrong from the very beginning, the very beginning of the story, because in the story of the Beast Princess, she sees the prince, and then she goes and gets changed into a human, and then they meet after the transformation. And that's why she has to maintain it. That's why she thinks they have to be humans, why she's chasing that. But in her story, Hero meets her when she's still a beast, and he loves her anyway. Yeah. She never had to chase this ideal. She, she had it from the beginning, yeah, but she believes she has to take this roadmap for how a romance, how a pretty thing is supposed to go. And so I think in this conversation about how much of chasing an ideal is affecting all this and, and the contact with reality and what does she do from there, she's kind of already screwed that up. She's already <sighs> had the wrong idea about the story the whole time. Hero saw her as who she was without the witch's intervention, without her trying to pretend to be human, without her giving up her wings and whatever. This is so much more tragic <laughs> than I was originally <laughs> experiencing. Oh, damn. Well, that's what makes it a new iteration of the story. Because like this Beast and the Princess, or the Beast and the Prince, right? This story is uh, very archetypal. Like we have examples of it in multiple cultures, right? The Little Mermaid is almost to a T the same thing. Uh, there is a common, I think it's the Snow Woman or something, this Japanese myth about this yokai who becomes entangled with a human man and uh, has to prom or makes the human man promise like has to promise to never talk about like meeting the yokai and then meets him as a regular looking woman and starts a life with him and then or he ends up confessing to the woman that he had this experience and that's what ruins the relationship anyway so we have this like over and over but that's what makes this one transcendent and a new uh, revolution on the cycle is that zero two was already a beast or still a beast, I guess, mm -hmm. when they met. That's pretty brilliant. It kind of occurred to me much later. So I wish I'd <laughs> realized that while I was making videos every week about it. <laughs> ah, I'm kind of bummed out now. Okay. So, uh, uh -huh. all right. So, where are we? Are we at the Grand Crevasse? Sure. Okay. Um, another comedy of errors. They're doing mission briefing. Uh, Ichigo draws the hard line in the sand. It's like, we're not going out with zero two. If, if she's on this, then we're done. Mm -hmm. Nana's like, well, actually, <laughs> she's being taken away anyway. She's going with the nines. All this extra tension just got added to the room for nothing. <laughs> yeah, because could you, could you speak up sooner, please? <laughs> this should be at the top of the hour. Bullet point number one. Zero two's out of here. All right, bullet point number two. Now you're going to go with risk your life, by the way. And zero two is just like facing backwards, chewing her nails oh, the whole gosh. time. <laughs> She's about ready to chew her arm off. 
Yeah, it's classic Nana. She's always just a little bit, just one beat <laughs> too late <laughs> in all these conflicts. Yeah, Zero Two's set up to go rejoin the Nines. Ichigo arranges this elaborate setup of guard and monitor duty. And one guard on Hero, two guards on Zero Two. Yeah, Ichigo says they're all united on this decision, but uh, just based on posture and facial affect, it seems like at least a couple of them are conflicted it may be a majority decision not a consensus and and so so, i mean we talked before about from ichigo's perspective i mean she has a lot of reasons to think that zero two is bad for hero but i mean do you also feel like she's being motivated by her own crush on on hero and definitely yeah i think figuring out where that line is is part of what makes ichigo's situation tragic right there's the part of her who's watched her crush get stolen from her and, and further and further away and that's that's something she tries to push down I think a few times especially early in this in the series where she does so much of trying to suppress what she wants mm-hmm. for the good of the team for her role as team leader and here is a weird situation where they align <laughs> she's having trouble keeping the two roles separate which she has tried to do very uh, much to this point and honestly, exercises quite a bit of patience with Zero Two. I mean, Zero Two, the, almost the first thing she says to her is like, so what are you to my darling? Intentionally tweaks her during the beach episode yeah. and just mm-hmm. knows, uh, maybe before Ichigo realizes it, <laughs> that she's like, they're in competition with each other. Um, and has done absolutely nothing to make that a more peaceful situation. Uh, Zero Two sees herself as winning and enjoys gloating about it a bit. And so, yeah, I think I think part of why Ichigo is the more single-minded here is that suddenly the two things she wants are the same thing where up to this point they haven't been hmm. just a quick comment about goro like I, I do feel like he's one of the people that are conflicted he's generally like pretty good about letting people make their own mistakes like specifically when hero was struggling with his health challenges the clacks yeah <laughs> but um man I, I just feel like maybe he should have spoken up sooner like i i, I think he's he's in tune with where Ichigo's head is. Okay, so they, the two of them, it's very specific. It's very important that Goro and Ichigo are the ones that saw the scene in the cockpit, right? Yeah. Ichigo's response was to go into Hero and pull them apart. And Goro's response was to ask Zero Two if Zero Two was okay. And so they took that scene, whatever they saw, they took it in two different ways. Yeah, I like that. And it was this, it's been the same in all of these scenes, right? When Ichigo was like, we have to be united against Zero Two, Goro was like, I don't know. (laughs) And then as we come up on it, uh, Goro will also, Goro and Kokoro will also be the ones that say, let Zero Two see Hero. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so uh, Ichigo goes to see Hero while he's under. Uh, house arrest in this uh, hospital room and I find it fascinating that you you said like these two drives are finally in concert and this might be like the happiest scene for Ichigo because she gets so much of what she wants out of this relationship like they're face to face they're just focused on each other she gets to do things for him and it like comes to this fever pitch when she is like uh, she gets so emotionally flustered because she's getting kind of happy and hopeful. She starts uh, carving the apple really fast yeah. and it's too much and cuts herself. Yeah. And it actually ends the scene prematurely kind of because 
uh, it takes the focus off what they were talking about. And now the focus is this blood and the knife and the, and the scene kind of has to end well, from there. But, well, but even that, like, um, just to push back on that a little bit, like oh, I, she, she enjoys then like here is like taking care of her. Oh, sure. And she has this nice frankness too, where she's like, I bet you hate me her, but, but I don't care. You know, I, I know you want to see her, but I can't let you, you'll never be the same if I do. You know, this is kind of like a test, I think, to how she actually feels about him. Even if you hate me for this, I actually love you. I actually want what's best for you, even if at the expense of me, which mm-hmm. is so we've had the same thing from Goro up to this point or, you know, go, go bro. <laughs> yeah, that's like actually caring about somebody regardless of the personal cost, perhaps. And she, I think she's doing something similar here where she's like, I'm the one insisting that you can't get together. It's for your own good, even if you hate me. And the fact that he doesn't seem to hate her in this scene, yeah, I agree. She's like, this is a high moment for her. <laughs> mm-hmm. So maybe because so, because of like the high emotions she's running off of, uh, maybe that's why she doesn't fight back very hard in this next scene where Goro uh, uh, agrees with Kokoro and says that uh, uh, the group should let Zero Two and Hero meet each other again. So Zero Two, okay, right. Zero Two busts out past the guards, uh, and instead of everyone like rallying physically against Zero Two, Goro says, "Hey, hey, 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 hey! Before we like come to blows, maybe we should let them talk. We can all be outside. We can all even be there. What do you think? But they should." They deserve that. They've been through a lot. Yeah. Even the, even the fact that he's the one who gets knocked aside and then is the one who kind of becomes her advocate, I think, is significant, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. mm-hmm. he's he's got the most reason to feel wrong at this particular moment and speaks up. Um, I also love how downright almost heroic Ichigo is in this. She walks up to this girl who's a head and a half taller. She grabs her collar, and Ichigo never flinches. I'm never going to win any kind of fisticuffs with you, mm-hmm. but she her her resolve does not waver at any point in all this. It's not until the other people kind of like, this, how are we going to resolve this? We, let's go let them mm-hmm. talk to each other. It must be important. The, she's not usually this single-minded, you know. Mm-hmm. Thanks to Hero's influence or feeling a little bit of empathy here, we kind of I can kind of see where you're coming from, and I'm imagining myself in your position and being separated. And, you know, the compromise, let's, let's all go. Yeah. And Zero Two agrees yeah. to it, right? Which, okay, maybe she's not up to no good if she doesn't care if we tag along. Um, and only then does Ichigo kind of relent. But Zero Two's threatening stuff was, she was unmoved by that. Yeah, it is interesting. Like, we've seen Ichigo get shaken by, like, Nine Alpha and earlier with Zero Two with their proximity. Uh, so it's a, that's an interesting contrast. I also just thought it was really interesting that Mitsuru was so silent in, in, in previous episodes. He'd be really quick to be the one to say something cynical about whatever was being discussed. Now, this is this is after Hiro tried to make up with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Mitsuru is in shock. Mitsuru, mm-hmm. when Hiro tried to make up with him, Mitsuru was like, uh, uh, I, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. You gotta play it cool, you know. That's been yeah. the persona he's crafted ever since then. Absolutely. That's what got Kokoro interested. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so things start to disintegrate here pretty quickly. Yeah. So Theta, you mentioned that um, like Zero Two was just uh, in recent memory contemplating uh, like the, the propaganda that she'd been fed by Ape, feeling betrayed, and then walking into this empty hospital room. And again, the immediate reaction is like, oh, it's another setup. It's another betrayal. 
Mm-hmm. We don't hear what the, the Council of Apes is saying to her in her little flashback scene, but contextually it seems like if you kill a bunch of classic Saurus, we'll let you go back to your darling. Mm-hmm. You know, or you'll, we'll let you turn into a human. And she doesn't really want to be a human. She wants to be a human because that's how she thinks she has to get back to her darling. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he's there and she realizes who he is means that was a lie. Mm-hmm. I'm, I've been laboring under a misapprehension here. Mm. And I, I imagine part of the reason she maybe didn't even think about how she was treating darling, even if there was a tickle of memory, is the assumption that this can't be him. I'm not human yet, therefore we can't possibly be reunited. And then to realize that wasn't the case. She found him. They found each other. She feels very tricked at this moment and especially frustrated. So to walk into the hospital room where, oh yeah, we'll let you see Hero. Psych! There's no Hero! (laughs) I'm sure it is quite the blow, right? Like, Mm -hmm. she's already simmering, ready to boil over, and that's just the bridge too far. So I guess I want to get everyone's speculations about what's going on in Hero's mind. He breaks out of his hospital room to go see Zero Two mm-hmm. because, you know, they had their breakthrough and he's at the door and he has this heartfelt confession. He goes in and he sees uh, the devastation. And like, what does that mean to him? Uh, he, he finds the mirror broken. This is the first time he's seen it broken. Uh, is he taking that as some kind of rejection? And like, so this is the context walking into the hospital room is where he returns and sees everyone beat up. Mm-hmm. And like, I guess the lights have been smashed because it's dark and you can see zero two's glowing eyes. Uh, I guess it's a little bit of an anime trope, but I feel like they executed it really well. Man, um, zero two is in a state. You asked me to speak my mind with you, remember? When I tried, these guys wouldn't let me. So when he goes into the room, I didn't interpret it as rejection. I thought it was more like he's like worried about her. It's like, okay, he's seeing Mm -hmm. like she's clearly like really upset and in some kind of a state. And I imagine he imagines that Zero Two did this in the time that he's been captive. So like if this is the state Zero Two's in, oh, no, I'd better go get to wherever he is. Yeah, yeah. Hero knows Zero Two's not allowed to see him. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Yeah, he's, he's they were told. Okay. They're told expressly. His, his thought before he goes into that room, he says a bunch of things out loud. He thinks she's on the other side of it, knocks on the door. Hey, it's me. You know, remember mm-hmm. when you said, you know, you weren't afraid to die. You know, I am the same. But that's why I want to make sure of several things. And then he starts to say, did you? And then rather than saying it, this whole time he thinks she's listening he thinks instead did you use me knowing all along Mm. that's the thing he's struggling with he wants the answer for as he goes to open that door and then he sees the room in in disarray sees the broken mirror and and knowing all along like what right which maybe this is a question we were talking about earlier i have to assume it's the question we have is like did she recognize him as the boy from back then See, as the audience, we know that that's suddenly, how can it be you? You know, this was the boy, whatever. But from Hero's point of view, she's been calling him darling. She's done all these things. Like, I can see where he could construct a narrative in his head that, well, she knew who I was this whole time. And she was still willing to consume me. She was still willing to do all these things. Dude, was I wrong about how we felt about each other back then? Mm, That's messy. Yeah, this this episode requires a, a mop and bucket (laughs) because <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's almost more like she's using him if 
she doesn't know that it's him, you know, or something like right. that, right? That yeah, like I was kind of wondering if it's you know, going back to the thing we were talking about before about like what she knows, what her motivation is, but now I'm almost leaning towards like she's play acting with all of these different people because that's like the next best thing to keep her entertained while she kills Claxosaurs to get to her darling through that, you know, that promise that, that ape has given her or whatever. Mm. Wow. There's a lot more here than I thought there was. Okay. So let's get through this last Mm -hmm. part and we can talk about the golden bow again a little bit, Mm -hmm. and then we can get out of here. Mm -hmm. Let's see. So this is the confrontation scene. This is the big climax, right? We want it to be, we as the audience want it to be a tearful, wonderful reunion that they're finally get together again, but we still have 10 episodes to go. So we can't do that. (laughs) Uh, And so hero sees zero two at this, like, it's funny, these wonderful dichotomies. It's this like moment of strength for zero two, like zero two is showing physical prowess, but it is the most vulnerable moment. One of the most vulnerable moments thus far for zero two, because while in this state, if the person that uh, he doesn't want to see him were to come into the room, well, that could be very detrimental. And of course, because we are watching a show and not living real life, hero does happen in at that exact moment while Ichigo is off the ground and you see this like power disparity between the two of them. It's about as bad as it could have gone, basically. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it also gets, I brought up earlier the, you know, the opening credits, please don't fear me. That's this, mm. the thing she's afraid of and fears the most is that the darling from way back would think of her as a monster, right? That's like the thing she has bent her life to not be true, trying to be human. She thinks that's the thing that keeps them apart is that she's a monster and he's not. And he's the one who says it. Mm. Right now you are a monster, but the silver lining, if there is one, is that, well, it's out in the open now. <laughs> we we got a lot to talk with about our, our therapist, but uh, you know, at least I can no longer be waiting for the other shoe to drop, that you're going to make this fear of mine real. Yeah. But it's, yeah. you know, it's the worst thing he can say at this particular moment, probably. Yeah, and, and, and I feel like he definitely knows that too, right? Like he he is trying to hurt her yeah. or like, <laughs> you know, it's almost, or maybe he's just so frustrated. It's like you spend all of your time worried about being a monster and then you do this. Like mm-hmm. we're worried about people seeing you as a monster and then like you do this, like this is what makes you a monster, not not like your horns or your fingernails or whatever. Next. Because Hero Zero Two doesn't quite comprehend this idea of caring about the rest of the squad mates. And so the idea that Hero would care what she did to all these people doesn't occur to her, right? Like, he cares about Ichigo quite a bit. I mean, Ogoto used his one gift per year to get the little bird clasp for her hair, but so did Hero. He just was faster about it. Yeah. Right? He was uh, less thoughtful about it, which got him there first. <laughs> <laughs> All's fair in love and war. <laughs> I, I kind of wonder, I mean, you know, so all the other pilots grew up together and identify with one another, you know, since Zero Two kind of grew up on her own, I almost wonder, does she see herself as a pilot or like, I wonder, does she see the other pilots as like the same as the adults who were 
experimenting on her and like torturing her. Oh. Like she just sees them as an extension. Just all part of the same of system. This. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. She, she's born into a world of monsters from her point of view. She's born to this world of people who chain her to the wall and keep stuffed animals tantalizingly out of reach and then do all this experimental crap to her. Blowing holes like, through her Why hand. should she care about humans? All right. So Zero Two's worst fears come true. The soldiers have her pack up her stuff. She's being marched out like shamefully. That's the only thing missing is the person ringing the bell yelling shame. Uh, there's there's no goodbyes. Nothing is said. And then, ah, uh, it hurts so much. Uh, walking past Hero, you know, nothing is said. And then here comes Ichigo. <laughs> she wins. You know, she's getting her way. But before we get into that scene, Zero, Zero Two has this line about, you know, this is her punishment for trying to turn him into a monster. I tried to make him the same kind of monster as me. And this is my punishment you know and, and so we've had this thing about his sorification but is that what she's referring to or uh, i presume so um we've had mm -hmm. a couple things they've looked at her look at his blood and it's unusual several times that's come up and then in this episode he makes the leap that oh maybe the reason that i survived piloting and couldn't pilot with anyone else was her blood that i had in her and so by combining the two ideas you think and the things that Ichigo overhears from Nana, you think, what Zero Two says here is, I'm trying to make him the same kind of monster as me. Must be There must be something to that. I mean, remember the blue heart thing that was spread all over his chest way back after two rides? You know, Knowing she has the blue blood now, it seems like this might be a little bit more literal than <laughs> you might normally think. Oh, you're a monster. You're turning me into a monster like you. Maybe literally turning, her, uh, turning him into a monster. Mm -hmm. And... It's, it feels like punishment because she didn't care about doing it to all these other people yeah. until now. And her recklessness put the hero in the crosshairs. Like he, any of those people could have been him now. But, but the, the other pilots, I mean, did they go through sorification or they just died or? I guess they all died before it got further. They all died. But, but, but was it through this sarification thing or that's a separate? I don't know. No, they, I, they seem to take physical harm like Mitsuru did. Right. Okay. I mean, I would presume it's like if sarification is actually changing from the kind of thing a human is into the kind of thing that Zero Two is, that's probably a little bit disruptive on the, the body, the, the yeah. cell level. Like it's there's probably a lot of like pain and blood and and trauma and scarring and mm. probably goes very poorly if they can't actually make the transition, which I feel like the context clues here suggest that Hero maybe could. And the reason he has survived is that he hit that critical threshold of where he was, his body was, would normally have taken too much damage to go further. And maybe you can argue that is what happens in episode six. Mm. Um, but since then, it has actually proceeded instead of killing him. He just doesn't have, you know, horns of his own or anything. I get that monster stuff. All right, so back to the scene that uh, caused so much. We just, we just angst. don't want to talk about it. We just don't want to talk about each of scene. That's that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. So she wanted uh, Zero Two gone. She wanted Hero to herself. Uh, so all her dreams are coming true. And Hero is obviously in a state of distress, but she's just wanting to mark her territory and just plant that kiss on him. And then, you know, again, just to make things worse, here comes Goro, <laughs> you know, and it was a real big deal for him <laughs> to confess his love. And now 
seems to be pretty effortless for <laughs> Ichigo to be confessing her love to Hiro. Well, it's kind of like, ah, oh, crap. Did I did I set her up to do this? <laughs> did I give her the encouragement? Her. <laughs> well, and, and it's kind of that uh, the thing of the mission aligning. Like I think she sees mm. Hiro working up the courage or about to go get zero two, and then this is her move to hold him there. Right, is to kind of step up on her toe and and kiss him like and that's a you know if you have two motivations and those motivations go into alignment well that's great for you in the moment but now that means that those two motivations are intertangled and so now when you maybe like lean on one you might not actually be leaning on the one you think right like right here uh, we Ichigo thinks that both of those motivations are still in tandem. Like what's best for the group, what's best for Hero is what's best for me. Like me being with Hero. But it's not in this scene. It was in that other scene, seemed to be. But in this scene, it would have been better for Hero to get to say some words to Zero Two, to be able to try at least. Not not better for Ichigo. You shall say, you know, this is for the best. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. it's, it's hard, but whatever. And then he is just bereft. And she, she she knows he's about to turn and go. She's ready to grab him and stop him from chasing after Zero Two. And it's like she's her mind's racing. How do I stop him? Like how do I how do I stop this from happening? This is we finally got it. He's going to be safe. It's this thing I've been worried about almost the entire time we've been watching Ichigo. <laughs> she's had this worry mm-hmm. about losing Hero. That's how we started the whole series. Was he was about to leave the rest of them. And he's miraculously returned to them, but intertwined with Zero Two. So it's like a, a mixed blessing then. And now she's suddenly going to be able to keep Hero and lose Zero Two. And it's not just now I can make a play for my man. It's like from her point of view, this is saving him. This is the best possible thing that could happen. And so when he continues to try to chase after her, she's desperate. You know, mm-hmm. and that's like you said, that's getting all confused up with her own feelings as Ichigo the girl, not Ichigo the leader of Squad Thirteen. Mm-hmm. And she says, "I'll make sure we can pilot together this time." And he's thinking, "No, you won't. It doesn't work that way." Because he's just figured out this thing about the blood, right? Or at right. least has his suspicions now. So he's just standing there, like, "Cool." Like, this doesn't mean anything, these words that you're saying. It, it, it won't work. Not to mention Goro overhearing them, which just you're like, aw. Poor Gobra. And that the, to Goro? That sucks. The worst thing slash best thing, depending on your point of view, is when Goro kind of overhears this whole thing and he walks mm-hmm. up and you know it's, and he's here, and just by his reaction, you can tell he can hear them. When she confesses, he kind of drops his head, but he smiles a little bit. You know, it's kind of like, uh, it, it's, he has, he also has those two conflicting things where it's like, this does not be, get me closer to being by Ichigo's side, but I also want her to be happy. And I know this is what she wants. Mm. Uh. Right. Because Goro, he knows that those two motivations are separate. He's not confused in this moment. And he knows which one of those motivations wins out in his mind. He's already made those decisions. He's had these long, hard thoughts with himself. Goro's so cool. <laughs> we should all be more like Goro. He is kind of the, the moral heart of the, the team at times. No. Okay, so there's just kind of a little wrap-up. Uh, Zero Two gets back with the nines, uh, and there is there are two rows of stamens uh, who look... They look like 
I don't know, mature stamens. Like they look like they're uh, uh, young men, not like teenagers, yeah. right? Um, they're lined up to get used up by zero two because this yeah. is a great opportunity. Yeah, my impression is they're like a special batch engineered for piloting with zero two. Hmm. It makes me think of the um, you know, like the the, the trope of a hard breakup and then somebody just going on a kind of a promiscuous terror afterwards to try to numb the pain of it or to try to distance themselves or destroy whatever they had. Um, oh, definitely. A way to like reestablish your identity because if you're not going to be this other thing anymore, well, better be the thing you were before unless you want to chart a new path. That's way too hard. Thanks for being with us. If someone really enjoyed Darling in the Franks, what would you recommend? What could you point them to next that they might enjoy? You mean like in terms of other series or are you just further? Yeah, any any piece of art or or, or piece of philosophy, whatever. Uh, uh, we usually anime, but it doesn't have to be. <laughs> well, I know you guys have talked about Evangelion on your series before. Mm-hmm. And I too have had a little stream with my viewers comparing the two maybe uh, two years ago. So that's a place to start, but I think people know that already. Um, mm-hmm. There's also a series, um, you know, El Reca 7, which is also kind of derivative from Evangelion or homage. It riffs off. It actually has plenty of com- plenty in common with Darling the Franks. Um, right, na- right down to invoking uh, the Golden Bow as well. Oh, wow. Oh. It's, it's, it's literally in one of the opening credits sequences, and they talk about it in episode later in the series. But you, you, you will notice the thematic similarity between the two. Interesting. Can you repeat uh, that uh, title again? Uh, it's, it's English. It's spelled like Eureka 7, mm-hmm. but that's not how they ever pronounce it. And it's, a, it's also a... You've got a pink-haired girl and a blue-haired girl. They they pilot mechs. It's actually about you know fertility and and, and the world and 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 clashing types of people. And and you've got a, a girl who's not really human and a boy pilot who is. And and their relationship essentially determines the fate of the universe, kind of thing. You know. Whoa. So that's that's similar. Interesting. One that you brought up in your episode twelve, which I just want to reiterate myself, is the series Scum's Wish. Wow. Which is mm. uh, about the messiness of relationships, and it's it's one of those where like depending on your personal experience with relationships might strike you as melodramatic, but for some people it's gonna be like, yeah, this is a little too real. Like I, I, I have a buddy who can't watch the show because the messiness of relationships in there is it's too close to the truth. It's too ugly. Mm-hmm. A totally different kind of show. But if you like this kind of sticky, messy relationship stuff. Um, that one has much more focus on just that element. Mm. It also leverages sexuality as technique rather than titillation, which is something I think Dogging the Franks does pretty well. Yeah, even if it, even it filters lots of people out by episode two. Uh, <laughs> if they'd stayed around, they'd realize it's all very relevant. Mm. And then I just, you know, here's my chance, I guess, to, to pitch myself. My name's Theta, by the way. I have a YouTube channel and a Twitch channel called Nearly on Red, Red the Color, and a website as well, nearlyonred.com. And I talked about Darling the Franks. To the degree that I am on the map, which is debatable, my coverage of Darling the Franks probably put me there. And I'm a very long-winded, so I had a series where there's videos each episode, an hour to two hours, somewhere in there, 
that is forms a nice big playlist. It's like 32 hours total runtime. And there's a little mini episode there in the middle, even specifically about the golden bow and, and drawing the Franks, but only up through episode 15. Excellent. I guess that's my answer. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, highly recommend uh, uh, Theta's series on Darling and the Franks. Uh, if you are you. into our kind of coverage, which is episode by episode, as deep a dive as we can, Theta does a lot more of that stuff with a lot better organization. Well, it's all scripted, so that helps. <laughs> all right, so here we go. Pen. Pen. Pals. Darling. Darling. All right, thank you Love so it. much. All right. Thanks for having me.